0: This is episode number four of the School of Success podcast series with the amazing and truly inspiring fertility nurse, patient and advocate for fertility awareness at large, the wonderful Bridget Brennan, coming all the way to us from sunny Pennsylvania. Welcome to the School of Success podcast series, my name is Melanie Pritchard, former lawyer turned success coach and corporate well-being trainer. And each month, we bring you an inspiring person and message to help you discover the tools for creating happiness in the widest sense. Jermaine Greer said... The management of fertility is one of the most important functions of adulthood. Ritu Gatori said, sometimes things happen in life that are not part of the plan. When that happens, do not give up on your dreams. Just find another way to reach them. We have a very special guest on today's episode. Bridget Brennan, fertility nurse, IVF patient, and passionate advocate for fertility awareness, on a mission to educate women about fertility to help them make empowered decisions about their futures. In this episode, we'll be discussing that all important subject of fertility, particularly for women in their mid thirties to late thirties who may not have met Mr. Wright yet, but are very keen on having a family. We'll be exploring all you need to know about egg freezing, the different options, how it's different to IVF, what the process involves, the emotional challenges, the cost, and everything in between. I'll also be sharing my own personal journey of egg freezing, the highs and lows, the surprises and challenges which certainly were not at all what I expected, and I'll be very happy to share my top tips to save you time and emotional upheaval on what's already quite a sensitive subject. I hope you guys are as excited about this episode as I am, so without further ado, let me introduce you to the one, the only, Bridget Brennan.
1: I'm absolutely thrilled to have you here, Bridget, on the School of Success podcast series. Thank you so much for being here for having me. <laughs> um, also very novel to be connecting with an American right now. Whereabouts are you kind of dialing in from?
2: So I currently reside in a town called Brynmar in Pennsylvania in the United States.
1: Oh wow. Pennsylvania always sounds so intriguing and magical to me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're more than welcome
1: to visit anytime. Ooh, tempting offer. <laughs> Um, before we plunge in proper to the podcast Bridget it would be lovely if you could just kick us off with a very brief summary of who you are and what you do
2: absolutely so I am a wife a mama uh, who works at a local fertility clinic called Mainline Fertility Mm -hmm. there I head up our monitoring team department and also I am head of our egg freezing program as well and on the side I am on a mission to educate women about their option to freeze eggs and just bring awareness to fertility.
1: Wow fantastic it sounds like you're very much a make a difference person to me. Um, could you just give us a brief rundown of your own personal story Bridget before I explain how I came across to you?
2: Absolutely I'd be more than happy to. So um, I was diagnosed with a condition called polycystic polycystic ovarian syndrome at 15 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, And what that is, that is a fertility slash endocrine disorder. And ultimately, it's an ovulation dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So naturally, I will only ovulate about two to three times a year, which a typical normal um, female should ovulate once a month.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Meaning 12 ovulations a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, with that said, that is where the difficulty um, in conceiving comes because I don't always know when my ovulation was occurring. So, knowing that information, I proactively decided to freeze my eggs at 27 years old
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, in order to have um, somewhat of an insurance, I don't want to use that word. Um, Somewhat uh, to give me um, what am I looking for? Um, a plan B for the future um, mm. if I needed to use my eggs in case I had difficulty conceiving on my own. Fast forward, um, I got married to my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to try to have our first child, and um, after multiple failed um, IUIs, we decided to um, thaw my eggs, create mm-hmm. embryos. Mm -hmm. Um, we ultimately did conceive via IUI with my daughter who will be three next week Mm -hmm. and when we went to have our second child that is when we used my frozen eggs from my cycle when I was 27 years old and we have a one-year-old son from that cycle
1: wow I mean they look so cute and your photos you look like a little dream family to me and your husband looks lovely too (laughs) Oh, thank you. So um, Bridget, <laughs> just, just to check a couple of the terms there, um, you mentioned RUI. So am, am I right in thinking that you, you froze your eggs when you were 27 um, and you were sort of triggered into thinking about that from the condition that you've suffered with um, since you were younger? Um, so you did some egg freezing um, and then you um, conceived one child through IVF, so through um, mixing eggs with sperm, and you conceived the other child through using your previously frozen eggs. Is that right?
2: So, conceived our first daughter daughter through something called IUI, so intrauterine insemination, Mm -hmm. where um, they take my husband's sperm and inject it directly into my uterine cavity, and the fertilization will occur inside. Mm -hmm. My son was conceived via IVF from my frozen egg cycle from when I froze my eggs at 27, Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I did a frozen embryo transfer cycle to conceive him using my frozen eggs.
1: Wow. Okay. That's really interesting in and of itself. um, We'll plunge into the sort of process and the, you know, the differences between sort of egg freezing and sperm donation, IVF and all these terms um, later so that we can help our listeners get clear there. Um, Thank you for such a good run through of that, Bridget, and for sharing your personal tale. Um, So I came across you, Bridget, as you know, on Instagram, the beauty of modern technology I was looking into egg freezing myself. Um, I'm in my mid-30s. My twin sister had had a baby. I started to become a bit more aware of fertility, and I started hearing some information about women's fertility dropping, particularly post-mid-30s, that I found a bit alarming and scary, which is when I started um, researching egg freezing. And I don't know if you can relate to this, Bridget, but I found it very difficult to find much information online bar um, lots of sort of fertility clinics selling egg freezing as, you know, quite a sort of one size fits all. Um, This is the way to ensure you can have children and quite a lot of scaremongering. So I dived a bit deeper and started sort of searching on Instagram with terms like egg freezing. And that's what led me to you. And I found your account so helpful and comprehensive with handy stats um, and, you know, your personal story. And obviously I then decided to go forward with um, egg freezing later on, having actually sort of consulted with about three different clinics and I'm happy to share with listeners the kind of pros cons and things I wish things I wish I'd known then um but you really helped give me some really powerful advice about the egg freezing process so thank you again for for that support Bridget.
2: Absolutely, it was my pleasure, and that's why I'm on a mission to um, educate women like yourself about the process and hopes that I can give um, factual information for women to make the most informed decision for them.
1: Yeah, I love that, and what I really like, especially about you, aside from your your depth of expertise, is how warm and human you are. Like you're clearly passionate about this, and and it really felt to me when I came across you that that you're someone who doesn't just see egg freezing as a sort of money making. Um, clinical sort of transactional act but you know you're someone who really comes across as having heart who truly cares about your patients and that's one thing I think is really important particularly with um, something as vulnerable as egg freezing frankly. Sweet of you to say thank you. That's true Um, so just to share with listeners I'll be very happy to pipe in as we as we discuss this subject with my own sort of takeaways that I've learned through this process I'm sort of two-thirds of the way through the egg freezing cycle, which has been paused along with coronavirus. I was quite happy to have a little break, and I'm very um, happy to kind of open up and be vulnerable about that, what I found surprisingly easy and some things that I found more challenging um, and more difficult throughout that. But I'd love to just start off probably with the obvious question, um, Bridget. Um, What is egg freezing for people that don't have a clue?
2: Absolutely. So egg freezing ultimately is the beginning process of IVF. Um, and what we're doing is each month, um, your ovary releases follicles and inside each follicle, you hope to have one egg Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and each month, if you are not going through an IVF or egg freezing cycle, you'll ultimately are just going to release one egg from that one dominant follicle and the rest of the eggs that, um, were released from, will say the vault, um, just die off. Mm-hmm. And when you go through an egg freezing cycle or an IVF cycle, you're capitalizing on all of those eggs that have been released from the vault that month. Mm-hmm. And you're allowing yourself to ultimately freeze them in time, mm-hmm. um, to use at a later date.
1: Hmm. What a fantastic summary. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and you, in terms of the egg freezing, um, What's the kind of role? Like, how, how are the kind of ovary, ovaries stimulated to get the kind of maximum return of eggs for people who are investing in this process?
2: So you would take subcutaneous hormone injections mm-hmm. um, roughly for about 10 to 12 days.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: At that point, you would take a trigger injection mm-hmm. that is um, called HCG. Mm-hmm. The HCG releases um, the egg from the follicular wall in order for the uh, physician to go in during a procedure called a retrieval mm-hmm. to extract the egg from that follicle in order to freeze that egg for a later date. Mm-hmm. Um it's roughly a two-week process, um, and during that process, you get blood work and ultrasound done to mm-hmm. monitor your way through the cycle to make sure that you are progressing appropriately, um, heading into your retrieval cycle.
1: Hmm. Okay, so it involves sort of hormone injections, scans, and um, a retrieval at the end. Roughly, <laughs> that's my dummy. Um, that's Correct. my dummy approach. Fantastic. Um, now. How- <laughs> when i had um when i had egg freezing i had obviously a lot of questions um which i'll be asking you so that i can save other people the kind of confusion um one thing that surprised me is um i so i've had two cycles done and the first cycle um obviously i had i had to inject hormones into myself and that lasted longer so i had sort of um one injection it started off with a nasal spray for about um a few days and then it started then it's then i sort of added injections to that daily just one injection per day and that was over i mean i'm sort of trying to recall here so this might not be totally correct but it was over sort of a slightly longer period um in total of about two weeks and then the second cycle so when they'd um stimulated my ovaries taken um the eggs and frozen them i then have another cycle and we'll come on to whether you need more cycles later um, and what surprised me was that um, i was able to have a slightly different procedure um, which um, was at a slightly different stage in my cycle and it meant having two injections every day a slightly bigger one but over a shorter period of time um, which I really preferred because again we'll come on to this later but one of the things I found difficult was um, the kind of length of time of the first cycle in terms of how bloated I felt and just the kind of more challenging emotional aspect so yeah I was it was a helpful learning for me to become aware that there are some different sort of protocols out there different procedures um, it seems um, available to patients is that something that that you will that you deal with as well. There are
2: there is um there's not one size fits all. So um, an REI physician will take three main um, markers: an AMH, your age and an FSH and compile a fertility protocol for you specifically. Mm -hmm. Those three things is really what allows them to formulate your medication protocol and how they anticipate you responding to the medications Mm -hmm. and how they ultimately anticipate you responding at the end of the retrieval cycle, meaning how many eggs you ultimately are going to have to freeze. So there's different medication protocols that you can use um, to obtain the best result for that specific patient.
1: I see. So it's very much not a one size fits all approach. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. It should not be. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, so just jumping into it, the next question I have when I, when I went to see, um, this really nice consultant, um, I said to her how many cycles will I need to have done? And, um, she suggested that I probably need about 10 eggs, Stored and that it would all be over by Christmas, I quote unquote. So I thought, great, that's in a month's time, brilliant. I can sort of, you know, do this, don't really want to do it, but it sounds like a good idea on balance, um, given I'm 37 and the kind of information that I'd sort of researched. Um, And after that, I started with the injections um, and the sort of hormone treatment and went regularly for scans with nurses to see how I was progressing. Um, and during one of those scans, one of the sonographers or scanners said to me, I said to her, oh, how many cycles, you know, do you think I need to do? I understand it's just sort of about eight eggs that I require. And she said, actually, at your age, um, it would be better for you to sort of have a bank of 20 eggs frozen. And I was quite surprised that I hadn't sort of been told that initially. Um, how does that work exactly, Bridget, in terms of your age? Like how many cycles will will people need exactly?
2: That's a wonderful question, and I have to agree with Ultra, Synodic, Ultra Synodic that um, with what she, uh, he, or she um, informed you of. Um, mm-hmm. So typically, and I'll just go back to the drawing board real quick. So the. Odds of getting pregnant per month naturally, which is called fecund- fecundability mm-hmm. um, per menstrual cycle, if you're less than 32 years old, is a 20 to 25% chance. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So when a patient is considering going through the egg freezing process, and this statistic might seem alarming, um, but it's a 5 to 8% live birth rate per egg frozen egg, um, slash thaw. Mm -hmm. Um, so please don't let that scare you. Please don't let that deter you from going forward with the process. But what that ultimately means is big picture is you roughly need, depending upon your age, 10 to 20 frozen eggs per one live birth. Mm -hmm. So the younger you are, the less eggs you ultimately are going to need to freeze. And I will give you an example for myself. So I was 27 years old when I froze my eggs, they were able to extract 18 eggs from me of those 18 eggs. Eight of those became blastocysts. And from those eight blastocysts, I created five normal embryos with my husband. Mm -hmm. So I was 27. Mm -hmm. So again, I only froze 18 eggs, but due to my age, Mm -hmm. I was able to yield five normal embryos, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: chromosomally normal embryos to hopefully use for my future family. So the point that I want to drive home here is success will always be tied to the age of your egg. Yeah. That's a crucial point for women to understand. So younger is better.
1: That's really, really powerful. Thank you for sharing that Bridget. Um, and just to sort of give a, another side example of what you said, uh, you've probably been following in the media that Amy Schumer has been undergoing IVF, and she's been very open, and she shared that she managed to they managed to extract 36 eggs. But she also shared the powerful reality of what you're saying that as a woman who was um, much older than you were when you had your eggs frozen, I think there was only one good egg in the end after thawing them. When you might lose some eggs, um, and you know successful merging of the egg and sperm as an embryo. So. Um, Correct. Yes, And I
2: think that's what, um, you know, another misconception is, is not every egg is going to thaw. Mm -hmm. Not every egg is going to turn into a blastocyst. Not every blastocyst is going to turn into an implanted embryo into the uterine cavity. And not every implanted embryo in the uterine uterine cavity is going to turn into a live birth.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, And as you say, the stats are very thought provoking and they're really good to be aware of. Um, I met a, a girl recently who was the same age as me and she got quite a lot more eggs from the first cycle than I did. Um, and she'd actually invested in what many clinics in, in the UK offer, which is almost like a, a a deal that allows you to buy three cycles for less than you would if you paid for them individually. So ironically, she'd invested in the in the three cycle offer <laughs> to save money and I hadn't, I just paid, I was sort of paying as I go if you like, if you'll pardon the expression. Um, And she said, I wish I wish we could swap so she could sort of give me the the extra cycle she won't be using. So I don't need to pay individually for a third. So it's a good example Uh of, yes, there are stats, you know, two girls who are both 37 or 34 might at the end of the day, even if they have the same fertility, get different numbers of eggs potentially, mightn't they? Absolutely. Mm. Um, Something else I wanted to ask you about, um, Bridget, was... Well, I went to see about three different clinics. So the first clinic I I actually started, um, I hadn't started the injections with, the the level of care wasn't good. So I actually um, moved on to a different clinic. But before that, I went to see um, a consultant, a really nice guy, very much like my father, father figure, really warm and gentle. And his advice really shocked me. So the first clinic, um, you know, I went in, the doctor had pictures of babies all over her wall, She she was super bubbly and warm. And didn't really talk me through much was basically just like, yeah, of course, this is a great idea. Let's, let's get on with it. You know, we have a great success rate sort of look at all the pictures. So I thought brilliant. Um, then I had that bad experience with them and went to speak to this, this male doctor who was about 65 maybe. And his advice was very different and it really stunned me. He basically said to me, and I'm not saying this is right, but he basically said to me, um, that he felt egg freezing was quite unethical that the success rate wasn't great. Um, he, he basically said, it's better to wait to have IVF with like your future partner that you want to have children with than to freeze your eggs on their own and sort of put those away solo without that kind of um, sperm to make the embryo that's more kind of powerful or successful. Um, that really surprised me. And he also said, well, he said, he said, what's a pretty girl like you doing, um, you know, in this situation. (laughs) And I thought, Oh, thank you. That's really sweet. But there are lots of women, um, you know, these days who have had careers and just haven't met the right partner. Um, so that was really lovely of him on one hand, but what really surprised me was he also said, I'd encourage you to just go and, um, consider sort of what men you have in your life in terms of ex-boyfriends that you could, you know, potentially create a stable family with and just really focus on the dating and maybe reconnecting with them instead of going through what could be quite a sort of costly and potentially emotionally triggering process. Um, that's a lot to sort of just share out there. So, um, Yes, yeah, to kind of put that's on you. I but- have to
2: digest, and I, I truly, um, my heart hurts for you that you were involved in a conversation like that with a highly respected fertility physician, because that's not, um, that's not a really lovely conversation to have.
1: No, it was. Um, and I do
2: not agree with him on many of the points that he said to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just go. I'll just say that. So, um. Yeah, from an ethical standpoint, um, I think as long as expectations are managed, Mm -hmm. egg freezing is empowering. Yeah, you know, females can empower themselves by going through the egg freezing process as long as they truly understand at the end of the day what exactly it is. Mm. Um, And typically, to start the process, you're just gathering information about your present day fertility. And what I mean by that is you're getting an AMH drawn. So an anti-malarian hormone level, and that's ultimately telling us what your ovarian reserve is. Mm -hmm. You're going to get an ultrasound done to see what your antral follicle count is. Ultimately that's letting us know that month, how many follicles were released from, were released from the vault and how many do we potentially have to work with that month?
1: Yeah.
2: So, and then your age. So those three things We're just gathering data and we're allowing, we're informing females about their present day fertility situation and allowing them to make proactive decisions to build a future family. So, from an ethical standpoint, I think egg freezing is wonderful as long as females understand exactly what it is. And it's not being sold as an insurance policy, Mm. it's being sold as this is allowing you to gather information and to ultimately build a future family in the time frame that you want to do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I've certainly been aware of that disclaimer in literature I've, I've received that, you know, this doesn't bring with it any guarantees. Um, even if you manage to get, say, like 20 eggs, you know, obviously for you, it's, you know, you've had real success there. But there are no guarantees, are there? And it's important to stress that to people Um, is that something that you would, you would reinforce Bridget? It is
2: there's, you know, I will say that time and time again, there is no guaranteed, Mm -hmm. but you're setting yourself up for the best option to plan your future family by gathering more information on the egg freezing process.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And
2: I would say if you're, 32, less than 32 years old, or you're 30, you're reaching that 32 year old mark. You haven't had children yet. You ideally want to have children in the future. You should really start gathering information on your own fertility, um, situation, meaning go get an AMH drawn, go get, a uh, anthrophological count done
1: mm-hmm.
2: talk to a specialist mm-hmm. hopefully one that really understands the egg freezing process and can steer you in the right direction because truly at the end of the day egg freezing is very very empowering for females in this day and age
1: yeah absolutely um and it's interesting cuz 32 sounds so so young when i was at a 32 i wasn't even really thinking about the future or even you know, much as I've had, you know, some really wonderful relationships, I wasn't really looking at men as future husbands. I was more thinking, you know, you're great, you're going to be a really positive, it's going to be a really positive experience, you know, dating you. And before you know, well, before I knew it, I was sort of 30, probably 34 and newly single after the end of a a really wonderful four year relationship. Um, And yeah, it's amazing how time flies by, and you know, you kind of assume that you'll meet the right person. And obviously, most of us want to wait for that soulmate rather than settling. There's no way um, I think a lot of my best friends could do that. So yeah, I agree with you, it can be empowering. And um, for me, certainly engaging in this, I feel it's sort of definitely taken um, some anxiety off my shoulders about like tick tock, tick tock, gosh, you know, I really hope I'll meet the right man, you know, someone that I truly love, and I'm truly excited by in time. So I definitely hear what you say there.
2: Yeah, it's you know that's my the biggest thing that I would love um, females to take from this is just it's a it's a way to be empowered. Mm. It's a way to empower yourself to practically think about your future fertility. Yeah, and I know thirty two sounds young, Mm. but again, just getting those that fertility check done, the AMH, the antral count. Um, An FSH, it's just allowing you to gather information Mm -hmm. and get ahead of a potential issue that you might not have known about if you didn't get that fertility check done until you were 37, 38, 39. If you're getting it checked at 32, you're allowing yourself to figure out, okay, this is my present day fertility situation, Mm -hmm. It's not saying you can wait X amount of years. It's just giving you information Mm. where you sit today to make decisions for yourself in the future.
1: Yeah. That's a very good point. Um, like a kind of fertility audit, you know, um, and much like, much like sort of mental health, you know, it's something that can be very invisible. So we have a lovely friend who, you know, she's fit and healthy, beautiful, lovely husband. Um, they started trying for a baby. I think she was 32 and really struggled and that revealed some, um, you know, quite worrying fertility issues. Very happily, she since had um, a little boy via IVF, which is fantastic. But, you know, she was 32, so much younger than my sister was. Well, a few years younger than my sister was when she had her first baby. And she never would have known that had she not started trying with her husband so early. So, yeah, I think that's an excellent point you made, make about sort of, yeah, and sort of educating yourself about your fertility levels if you're that way inclined. kind. Correct. Um, Something else I wanted to just touch on, Bridget. Um, So obviously that male doctor I spoke to basically said that he thought that egg freezing was um, slightly unethical. Um, Obviously you've given us the other side, which is what I was hoping you would do. Um, I then went to another clinic um, who I I won't name, name name-wise, and I really liked the consultant that I saw and I really trusted her. She seemed sort of like, you know, one of my best friends, that sort of type of person. Um, And I said to her, in my position at 37 would you have egg freezing? And she said, definitely, which which is what helped me make the decision. And she said, the thing is, you might be absolutely fine having your first child. Let's say you have your first child when you're 39. And she said, but it's possible um, that you might struggle with, say, your second child. And that's where possibly egg freezing could also really serve you if you would like more than one child. And I hadn't thought of it like that before. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: She was... Amazing to even have you think that proactively. And I agree with her 100%. Egg freezing isn't just for your first child. It's for family planning. It's for planning your future family. So you might have your first child um, and you know, have zero difficulties, Mm -hmm. but that first child you might conceive at 37, 38, well, you might not go for your second or third until you're in your forties. And we all know when you get to your forties, your percentage of conceiving naturally is about one to 2%. Mm.
1: Um,
2: so that's where the egg freezing comes in play, um, for future family planning.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. my my twins often trying to reassure me, I mean, whether it was me going on dates with men instead of half my height and her saying, oh, look, you know, Tom Cruise is really short, you know, I mean, it's like, that's not helping, (laughs) Elmi. (laughs) I don't fancy him, his feet don't even touch the floor (laughs) when we're sitting on a sofa. Um, And similarly, during the egg freezing cycle, you know, she was very supportive. Um, But, you know, she'd say things like, but Mella, you know, I've got a lot of women in my antenatal classes or you know who have had babies who are in their late 30s and some e- even in their early 40s so obviously the stats you know it's important that we're aware of the stats but i also found it quite comforting to hear of um positive tales and also like positive tales of even like celebrities in the media who have obviously had ivf in their 40s even though the chances are obviously lower but still successfully you know had a baby um i mean i'm guessing that isn't the kind of majority sort of success rate but but it's nice to see that as well
2: it is nice to see um i will say a handful of them probably were able to achieve that biologically meaning their own egg and probably um majority or probably the other half of them were probably successful using what we consider donor eggs yeah so Um, that's where the media comes in and where they are falsely selling, um, you know, information to the everyday female, saying, you know, you're fine. You don't have to potentially freeze your eggs. You can have kids well into your forties, but what they're not telling you is, was it biological or was it from an egg donor? Both avenues are wonderful, Mm. but it's the misconception there that is misleading the younger generation of females and that's one of the stigmas that I would like to change
1: that's so good that you shared that because I I hadn't that hadn't even occurred to me so thank you for that busting that potential myth Bridget that's very important um so just to clarify so it's possible that like let's say you were let's say a 44 year old celebrity um let's say for the sake is it Eva Longoria? Not to kind of make assumptions about her later pregnancy. It's possible, is it, that she could have had another woman's eggs implanted in her, which were then fertilized with her husband's sperm, and that could have been how she had her baby. Is that is that what you're saying? Just so I understand what you mean. Absolutely. Sort of, but, yeah. Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, that's really good to know. Um, we'll come on to these sort of um, sperm donation and stuff later on, but I just wanted to touch on one other point. Um, And I'm just sharing here things that confused me. So I hope it will be helpful for listeners who don't know anything about the subject. Um, So I've been told by the male doctor I saw, it's better to sort of obviously freeze eggs with sperm. So you have an embryo, even if you put that away and freeze that, that will be sort of potentially um, easier to fertilize than just your eggs on your own in a drawer that are frozen. Um, So that was a learning that I had. Is that right? So
2: yes and no. So you know, what I'll say is when you create an embryo in its blastocyst stage, it's going to survive better because it's more cells. It's 100 to 200 cells versus when you are freezing an egg, that's one cell. Mm-hmm. So an egg has about an 85% chance of survival, whereas a blastocyst embryo has about a 98, 99% rate survival when it's thawed. Mm. So I think egg freezing is still a wonderful option. It's still the best option for women if they haven't found the right partner, if they don't want to use an egg donor. (laughs) Um, So I want to make sure that women are still comfortable freezing eggs, not being forced to create embryos because – eggs still survive the thaw at an 85% chance mm-hmm. um, because we, are, we have a wonderful process that we've now been using called vitrification. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that new process that we're using to thaw eggs, their survival rate has gone up tremendously.
1: Yeah, that's really good to hear. And I've heard the same that modern technology is, is really advancing now. So it's quite a good time um, to be considering this sort of process versus say 10 years ago which is good to hear. Um, just to come back to that excellent point you just made, Bridget. Um, so the assumption I made when I'd spoken to that male doctor was, okay, so better for me to go away and consider ex-boyfriends who essentially aren't my dream men <laughs> and to yeah. consider um, or to wait for, or or what I was thinking was I'd rather wait for really the right guy, the soulmate, and to have IVF with him, even if I was, say, 42. Um, my perception from what he'd said was better to have IVF at 42 than to freeze my eggs at 37. Um, but as you're saying, that's not always the case. Um, and I spoke to someone else who said, as you said earlier, you know, right now, well one of the key points is freezing your eggs or ideally doing this when your eggs are young and sort of their optimum best really, um, which is also what swung my decision to go for it in the end, because it was my final perception that ultimately it's better to freeze eggs um potentially on your, you know, on your own at thirty-seven and put those away in a drawer for future use than to maybe wait for the soulmate coming along at 44 when your eggs might be so much older and really not sort of, um, I don't know what the word is, you use fertile or kind of fruitful or at their very best, to say the least. Is, is that sort of right?
2: Correct. He misguided you with that conversation as well. I do not agree with him where he said that, you know, waiting to create embryos via the IVF process in your 40s versus freezing eggs at 37 is a better option
0: yeah absolutely
1: you nailed
2: it age the younger the better so freeze younger despite um you know being informed that creating embryos in your 40s is a better option it's
1: not Mm, that's important thank you for clarifying that um there's something quite counterintuitive i think about if i think of myself at 32 i mean i'm quite a free spirit but Um, anyway but I wasn't even thinking about the future there's something slightly jarring about sort of you know thinking about the future when you're not even there yet in your head but you know that it might facilitate big dreams that will hit you maybe when it's possibly later or potentially too late so it's a difficult sort of um it's a difficult sort of balance to strike isn't it for for younger women potentially it is and I think that's
2: where um you know, being comfortable talking about this process. So myself, um, I'm comfortable educating women about egg freezing, educating women about their bodies. And I think the more women are aware of how their bodies ultimately work, the more women are aware, you know, what's normal, what's not normal Mm -hmm. when it comes to their bodies is going to allow women to be more proactive, meaning just simply going to their doctor's office and having a conversation about something that might not be normal, which would ultimately allow them to be proactive and freeze their eggs when they weren't even thinking about it. Yeah. So I think it's education. Education is key. Knowledge is power. Totally. You know, and I think that's kind of what we need to, to remember. It's more about just making sure women are aware of um, their fertility in order for them to think proactively earlier on in their life rather than later.
1: Definitely. That's very well put. Um, yeah. Thank you, Bridget, for clarifying. Um, just in case it isn't clear to anyone, because this wasn't clear to me um, before I'd spoken to the doctors and Bridget now, in case anyone's struggling with a terminology, um, so egg freezing is sort of literally putting your own eggs in a drawer frozen. And the embryo that Bridget and I are talking about is when you sort of fertilize your egg with sperm, whether your husband's, your boyfriend's or a sperm donor. Um, which can be frozen in the same way, but obviously it's different because it's an embryo. There are sort of two different sides to that rather than the your own eggs on their own. That's right, isn't it, Bridget? Yes, correct. That's great. Um, that probably sounds quite obvious, but I found that quite confusing to get my head around initially. Um, so perhaps this would be a good time just to ask um, you to tell us a little bit about egg donation, Bridget, because I was sort of adamant that I, I didn't want to have um, a baby with a stranger um, so fertilizing my egg with, you know, sperm, donor sperm. Um, could you tell us a bit more about that as an, as, as an option? Because I know it's something that does interest, um, quite a lot of women actually out there.
2: Absolutely. Um, so, so are you referring to donor sperm or donor egg?
1: Sorry, donor sperm. I'm getting my model. Okay.
2: So yeah, some women, you know, they reach a point where they are, say to themselves, I haven't found the right partner, but I really want to become a mother. Mm-hmm. I don't want to wait any longer. This is important to me. I want to do it now. And at that point, that's when they would decide, hey, I'm going to create embryos with a um, sperm donor. Yes. There's a whole profile they have to go through. Um, they, you know, get to see pictures. Um, there's a, a long process. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, you purchase... Um, donor sperm Mm -hmm. and it gets shipped to the fertility clinic that you are ultimately using. Mm -hmm. Um, They take your egg, create it with the donor sperm that you have chosen and Mm -hmm. fingers crossed hopefully that turns into a pregnancy and a live birth.
1: Mm, Wow, amazing. Incredible, really. Um, I've got a a good friend who um, is married to a woman, beautiful, stunning couple, Um, all the boys were salivating at their wedding, (laughs) really, really wonderful pair. And, um, they wanted to have children and use this exact method that you've described. And it was, um, it's worked really well for them. I think, um, my friend firstly used donor sperm and it took her a few goes, um, for the embryo to be created. And now she's got a wonderful little boy. Um, and then after, um, you know, a few months of her little boy being here, her wife then used the same sperm donor. Um, and she's now sort of nearly at sort of giving birth stage and that happened very quickly for her. So, um, there was much less waiting around for her. So that was a really positive tale of sperm donation there.
2: Yes. That's, I love stories like that.
1: I know. Absolutely. Um, it's probably a good time to just share something that I've noticed and quite a lot of my other friends in their sort of mid thirties have said the same, um, On a couple of occasions, um, I think some of us have felt a bit triggered by how sort of willy-nilly or insensitively people bring up this subject. I had a client yesterday saying that um, one of her doctor friends just sort of basically told her that she should do it because she's 37. Um, I had a a, a sort of friend of a friend who's in a same-sex relationship who used that procedure saying, oh, would you do that, Mel? And she meant it in the nicest way, but we weren't sort of like super close necessarily necessarily. And there was no build-up to that conversation, and I found it really triggering, um, quite presumptuous, and I don't want to use the word offensive, but yeah, I did a bit. I sort of thought just because you've done that and that's worked for you, it doesn't mean that, and you know, with someone that you love, um, your wife, it doesn't mean that I would want to do that with a stranger. And um, that that really works well for some people. And I hats off to women who really want to become a mother, and you know, they'd like to get that sort of you know sorted first, and then find the right partner probably quite a good filtering system for the right man as well joking aside but I've been quite shocked by how um other people have approached this subject um there was one friend actually after it was literally after a not so great tinder date who, who cut straight from me saying well you know he was nice I'm not sure he's the one to her saying would you consider sort of sperm donation and I thought crikey <laughs> you know how do you get from a to z and, and it was like sort of hit, hit in the face with a hot iron so <laughs> is that something that you've heard stories about Bridget?
2: It is. And I think, you know, people just don't, people don't understand where, they don't know, how do I phrase, Um, they don't know where to, they don't know how to support. So Mm -hmm. they think, you know, by supporting you and saying, I'll use you for an example, you know, hey, Mel, I know you're going through X, Y, and Z. they think they're helping you by giving you the option of, why not use a sperm donor? Yeah. But what they're ultimately doing is the opposite. Mm. I think it's more of um, an uncomfortable issue on the other person's part, knowing, mm. meaning they don't really know what to say um, in particular <coughs> situations, so they just kind of say things that don't really make sense
1: yeah that that kind of totally yeah I very much yeah understand what you're saying there Bridget um I think it's when there isn't that sort of sharing and and an assumption is made that it sort of bypasses the listening part which is so important to connection it's very interesting people always mean well don't they um and and I think
2: just they mean well but it just doesn't come across the way that it should
1: (laughs) exactly and I think what. The thing is, as you say, and we'll come on to the empowering aspect of egg freezing shortly, because I think that's super important. I think it can be really empowering. But if you don't, for whatever reason, want to go down that route, and I have friends who could, um, they're kind of, you know, the ideal profiles, but just don't want to, I think it can stir people up and create a lot of fear when these conversations are had in an unsolicited way. It can stir them up with fear. And, you know, for some women, that can make them sort of feel, um, I don't want to use the word desperate, but desperate, you know, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Should I settle with the wrong guy? should i be like turbo dating or just you know i've had friends who have be, who have had sleepless nights over this you know waking up almost having panic attacks um about these issues so yeah i think that sort of fear can be i think it can be really empowering if you get clear and educated as you say but i think um when people sort of give information um in the in the wrong way so um you know, the sorts of examples I was giving, I think it can be quite disabling, um, especially when there's not someone fantastic like you to actually, you know, clear things up, demystify it, and actually give some helpful facts and and empathy.
2: Correct. I couldn't agree with you more.
1: Yeah. Um, Fantastic. So I wanted to ask you, Bridget, obviously you work with a lot of women going through this process. Um, Is there, like, a typical profile? Like, is it sort of the, you know, high-powered business women? Is it women who are just sort of gaga about babies or women who... You know, really want to wait for the soulmate or women who are unwell. Um, is there a typical profile? Like, why do women do it?
2: So, to be honest, it's a cumulation of every profile that you just described. Um, women ultimately decide to freeze eggs for a magnitude of reasons, mm-hmm. um, which are ones that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the beginning part of it all is just women just want to gather information. They just want to know, you know, do I need to do this process? And I think, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're single, if you're pursuing your career, if you haven't met the right partner yet. Um, unfortunately, if you've been diagnosed, diagnosed with cancer, all of these situations at the end of the day, I think uh, females just want to know if they need to pursue this procedure to hopefully give them an option to create their future family.
1: Yeah, well said. Absolutely. And it's nice to know there isn't just one profile. It, you know, it can affect a lot of different people. Um, fantastic. I think what might be really helpful to ask you a bit about, Bridget, um, and I'll, I'll ask for your thoughts here before I start blurting out more of my own experiences. Um, what would you say are the main sort of what are the main kind of cons? What are the things that women find most difficult, traumatic, distressing, potentially, um, in your sort of, you know, vast experience? Um, what are the things that are most challenging, whether sort of physically or emotionally, for women that you see?
2: Ultimately, I think it comes down to it's just, it's an unknown process. Mm. Most women have not been through it before you know, yes, when they get into potentially their second or third cycle, you become less anxious because mm-hmm. you know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Anything that's unknown to the, hum- to the human race is anxiety-ridden. So I think that's the hardest part for females to ultimately make the decision because they don't know what to expect. They don't know what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, and along with that, the cost. The cost is a big... Um, factor that I'll say is anxiety burden, because if we're saying you need to do this, you know, 32 or below, I don't know many 32 year old women that have excess money in their bank accounts to go through a process like this, Mm. which is why, you know, we have programs where, you know, we allow patients to make monthly payments and, you know, X, Y, and Z, but mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, it's the unknown and the cost that is the biggest, um, yeah, the hardest obstacles for women to
1: get through. Absolutely, I'm glad you mentioned the cost because, yeah, whether sort of emotional or actual cost, and you know, trying to measure that against, you know, yes, it, it can be, it can really result in success, but you know, equally, there are no guarantees. So, trying to weigh the risk versus the return. Um, in terms of the cost, Bridget, I'm sure lots of our listeners will be wanting to know. Well, what are the rough costs? Could you give us a bit of info there, please?
2: Absolutely. So, I can I'll speak for the costs at um, the clinic that I am currently working at. Mm-hmm. Um, so, an egg freezing cycle at Mainline Fertility is $6,000 mm-hmm. plus medications. Mm-hmm. Medications can range anywhere from three to five thousand dollars, and why there's such a range is because. Um, the medication protocol is based off of age, AMH and follicle count, the three things that I discussed earlier. Yeah. So that protocol is specific towards you. There will also be a one-time anesthesia fee and that's $500 and then a yearly storage fee. The yearly storage fee is $750 and in that $6,000 for the first year, the $750 is included. Yep. And any year after that, you would be um, responsible for 750 to keep your eggs um, frozen.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it's not cheap, is it? <laughs> um, it's not.
2: So I would say you're looking at about ten to $12,000 per one egg freezing cycle, which okay. is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, and I'm going to phrase it like this, If you freeze your eggs when you're younger, you hopefully only have to do one cycle. Mm -hmm. Versus if you wait until you're older, whether it's egg freezing or IVF, most likely if you're waiting in your later thirties, early forties, you're doing multiple cycles. Yeah. Which looking at like twenty, forty, sixty, eighty thousand dollars mm. versus the ten or twelve that you would have spent when you were younger.
1: That's such an excellent point. Thank you for making that. Um again, it's it's it almost seems it seems so counterintuitive because when you're in your late thirties and you haven't met, say, the right guy, that's when you might most want this, but it's gonna probably cost you more because you'll probably have to do say, you know, possibly two or three cycles, which is going to cost you more money. Um, so I think I will have ended up spending on egg freezing in the end after three cycles. I don't know the exact figure, but probably around £16,000, something like that. Um, but yes, it, it's a sort of incongruous idea that it's essentially um, cheaper for a younger girl who might not be thinking about having babies to invest earlier because she might be thinking, well, I'm, you know, it's probably quite likely I'll meet my dream man in the next seven years. But of course, if you're in a really happy relationship for four years, but one that isn't quite right for forever, um, you can find yourself suddenly feeling quite differently. Correct. Mm. So, um, in terms of the physical aspects, Bridget, um, what are the when you meet clients, what are they most worried about in terms of um, sort of pain or injections or procedures? Like, what should our listeners sort of um, know? Sort of scares people the most, and what would you say about about those fears? So,
2: the injections that the patient has to take, they're subcutaneous injections, so it's a very, very short needle. Mm -hmm. Um, So, as far as uh, pain, um, it should potentially be a very quick sting. Um, You might experience some bloating, some cramping, some pressure, potentially a hormonal headache, You might feel a little bit more tired than you typically do because we are asking your body to do something that it doesn't do on a a monthly basis regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're asking it to go into overdrive. And while we're asking it to go into overdrive, your hormones are going wonky. And when your hormones go wonky, you just don't feel right. Um, so, but it's a very short time period, roughly two weeks that you might not quite feel like yourself, but once you have your procedure, about a week post up, you should feel back to yourself. Right. And is that, is that correct? Did you relatively feel yeah. okay? Roughly like a week after
1: procedure, like yeah. almost back to yourself? It's interesting um, because I've had two cycles done so far. I had um, slightly different experiences. So the first one, when it was was a longer length of injections, I found, by the way, for the the listeners, I found the injections fine. They weren't painful. Like, you have to get used to injecting yourself, but I found that fine. Um, So the first cycle, I had injections over a longer period, and a few days in, I did start to feel quite bloated. Like, I could could notice that, like, doing skirts and things up was harder. Um, And towards the end, I, I did feel really quite bloated, and I found that, not necessarily difficult, but it was uncomfortable and it reminded me it reminded me of the stuff that I didn't really want to be thinking so much about, like, you know, will I have children? Will I, you know, you know, meet the right guy. So it was like a reminder of the more kind of psychological stresses I found, the bloating. Um the second time around in the second cycle, I really preferred it because because it was so much shorter, um, I felt slightly bloated for a couple of days, but much less so and That was probably my least favorite aspect, the bloating. um, That was my least favorite. The injections were actually okay. Um, Yeah, so I hope that's sort of helpful for people to know. And in terms of the actual procedure, I wanted to just ask you quickly about that, because again, I was told quite different things. So obviously, it's helpful for nurses to be really upbeat and positive. But one sonographer I had was so upbeat that she gave me the impression that it was like, oh, we'll we'll whip you in at 8.30, you'll be first on the list. It takes 10 minutes, and then you'll be able to go home. It's basically just quite like a smear test. Um, So that was my perception. And then I rocked up at hospital um, with my sister and they sort of said, right, well, you're not going until 12 o'clock, you're last on the list. So I was, that was just not what I'd been informed about. So that made me feel a little bit stressed. Um, And the first time I had it had the procedure, I did feel really groggy afterwards, because obviously, you're kind of heavily sedated and anesthetized. Um, And I did feel I was surprised by how bruised I felt. So I felt Um, I felt that it had been really quite an invasive procedure, nothing like a smear test. It wasn't horrific, but, um, you know, there was sort of some quite heavy bleeding after the first cycle. And, um, I found it sort of challenging to kind of walk on the day. And I did feel, um, it definitely got better after that sort of first day or two. Um, but what was interesting is after the second cycle, I had a different doctor do that procedure because it's just whoever is there on the day, Um, I felt much less groggy afterwards, and it did feel more like I just had a smear test. I could barely even feel that anything had been done. Um, I have no clue whether that was down to sort of the doctor's techniques or how the eggs had developed. Um, What are your thoughts on on that experience, Bridget?
2: Yeah, so typically, procedure-wise, you take your trigger injection, so the final injection that you take prior to your retrieval, 36 hours Ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Um, we get, we have our patients come one hour before their set procedure time.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: we tell patients to expect to be at the office anywhere from two and a half to three hours from the time that they enter to the time that they leave. The procedure itself is relatively quick. It's really about maybe like a 10 minute procedure. Mm -hmm. Um, Afterwards, though, we tell patients to go home. You're going to be a little groggy because you did go under anesthesia. Go home and rest. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a, probably a little bit of bloating, a little bit of cramping. When you do get your period coming off of the procedure, it's going to be heavy. You're going to have a pretty probably a heavy bleed. Mm-hmm. Um, but the procedure itself is quick. But the, the procedure day itself, you're there for about two and a half, two to three hours. Um it's an ultrasound guided procedure um where a little needle is going and in, transversing into the ovary to extract the eggs out of the follicles.
1: Mm. And that's very, very briefly explained. That's good. We like we like the um the kind of simple approach, it's easier to understand. Um it sounds like it sounds like the place that you work is really good. Um I won't name where I went, but I wasn't too impressed um with the standard of care. It was a very, very, very busy clinic, and I'm sure they are because this is, you know, there are a lot of people having IVF and egg freezing, but I felt like I was sort of being ping-ponged amongst different nurses, um, and there was a real lack of aftercare after the procedure. Um, I wasn't even shown how to use injections. Um, On one occasion, when I had the different um, process, I had to ask, do I have to go and collect medication? I believe it's different, um, you know, inject and different hormones I need to inject this time or whatever it is that you're injecting. Um, and I found it, yeah, I actually found it quite distressing that I was having to ask those things. And that when I did call up to ask, could you please explain over the phone how to use my injections? Um, the girl was so offhand and sort of said, well, you know, just do what your doctor said, do what the nurse said. And I said, but she didn't even explain how to use them. And you know, they're not, they're not that difficult when you know how, but it's not like you can just sort of guess how to do it. Can you? Correct. Um, well, I
2: will say we do cater to international patients at our office. Um, so if Anybody that is listening to this, I'd be more than happy to assist if needed.
1: That's great to know. A trip to America with, and um, um, you know, <laughs> coming <laughs> to your clinic for some wonderful care. Um, yeah. That's really good to know. And it's also interesting to hear what you said because, you know, you said, you know, your patients might be in for maybe sort of, did you say about three hours in total or something? About two and a half to
2: three hours procedure day.
1: Yeah, whereas with, for me it was, again, the whole thing could have been run much more efficiently, which would have reduced the stress for me. Um, so I think, you know, after I sort of waited the first time for about four hours, I was then kept in for at least sort of two and a half hours. And my sister, you know, I, the, the sonographer had said, oh, yeah, your sister's business meeting at lunch will be fine. And then my sister had to cancel a really important business meeting. And, you know, expectations weren't managed. So it sounds like your clinic does that really well, which is important.
2: We we aim to do that. That's one of our goals is to hopefully manage our patients' expectations appropriately. Because when you do that, you can decrease the anxiety level. And that's very important.
1: Definitely. We'll come back to the emotional aspects in a minute. But um, what would you advise, Bridget, in terms of how do people research the right clinic? Like, what do they look at the success rates? Obviously, that's important. But um, one thing I wasn't prepared for was the lack of care that I found with two of the clinics that I went to. I mean, I'm a very, like many of my friends and colleagues and clients, a very strong person, but I was left um, feeling really distressed by the lack of care um, on at least sort of three occasions with this particular clinic, and um, I really wasn't prepared for that. So how can people work out where they're gonna get that sort of care? I
2: think I think word of mouth, so friends or family who have gone to a local clinic that can attest to how wonderful it is, and um, online reviews. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because the online reviews are coming from patients specifically. Yep. So I think those two things, you know, putting statistics aside, you should get a good feel for the fertility clinic Mm -hmm. and also do your research. You might have to interview clinics before you find the right one. And that is okay. That is okay. You will know when you walk into a fertility clinic and you're sitting in front of a physician if that physician is right for you.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point about looking at reviews because um, at the clinic I went to, it's got quite a big name and it's quite well known and the consultant was lovely. I loved her, um, as I mentioned, Um, but some of the other people that I was sort of um, bounced around through lots of different nurses, um, I had quite a different experience after my really glowing first impression. But then when I looked on Google reviews, I'd seen quite a lot of similar reviews um, with similar troubles. So I think that's a really powerful point. Look at Google reviews, look at reviews, and word of mouth, definitely. Um, Bridget, can we just have a quick chat about the emotional aspects? Because we've heard about the physical sort of um, aspects of the process and possible challenges or things that are less challenging than people might assume. What do you think the main, the main kind of emotional ramifications are for, let's say for a moment, single women looking at egg freezing?
2: Yeah, it's an emotional roller coaster. Um, and if anyone tells you otherwise, then they're not being truthful. Mm. Um, you are investing your time, you're investing your body, you're investing your emotions into a process that you ultimately hope in the future is going to yield you, your future family, if that's the path that you end up having to take. Mm. Um, so I think the biggest thing is patients are anxious because again, it's unknown. You don't know the process. You don't know what to expect. You don't know how many eggs you're going to yield from it. All mm-hmm. of it is unknown. And when we don't know what to expect, it's just anxiety provoking. And I don't know anyone who likes to feel anxious. Yeah. Oh. Um, so try to find somebody that either has been through the process or, someone like myself that is an open book and can share the ins and outs with, um, with the everyday female about the process. And I really truly believe that that's what helps women get through making a decision like this is being able to lean on, um, a family member, a friend, or someone you've met on from an Instagram account to get you through, to prepare you for what's to come.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's something I found really helpful with you because I felt um I felt a lack of support from the clinic I was with and just hearing from getting advice from someone that I could feel had a heart that genuinely cared, you know, the way you said, I'll be thinking of you and gave me some advice about the number of eggs I should be storing. It just made all the difference feeling kind of seen and heard and supported.
2: I'm so happy I was able to do that
1: for you. No, you really were. Um, Yes, and also, I don't know if this is the same at your clinic, but at lots of clinics in London, they provide a counseling service. Is that something that you guys provide as well if people want it?
2: So we don't have an in-house counseling service. We, um, will, um, give patients information to set an appointment up with counseling services that we work with. We don't have in-house counseling, but with all that said, um, you know, we wear multiple hats a day, um, nurses, doctors, we are just as much a nurse as we are a counselor. Um, we help patients through the process Um, physically, emotionally, mentally, you name it, we're there for them. Um, At the end of the day, the patient sitting in front of us is the only patient that matters.
1: And that's how they should feel. That's lovely. That's really nice to hear. I felt like I was on quite a sort of fast-moving assembly line. So your clinic sounds great. (laughs) By the way, I'm receiving no commission for this. (laughs) Um, And I just wanted to share, um, my, my main concern actually over the physical was how it might sort of trigger me emotionally because... You know again, like lots of my listeners i'm positive i am resilient, you know, I meet some great guys, but I just hadn't met that killer. you know, I want to marry this man and have his children sort of guy yet um, I mean, I might have done now, but I hadn't at that stage. I hope he never listens to this, <laughs> but um I was most worried about the emotional ramifications, even being a strong person, and I must admit something that's probably what i well I definitely found the hardest. The first thing was the fact that i didn't ha- I didn't feel supported by the clinic I was with. At vulnerable moments even around basic things like how to administer injections or how to explain um, what the procedure would be like or how many eggs to extract so that distressed me for sure and it concerned me. Um, What I also found quite hard was sitting in the waiting room with lots of couples at one stage there was a lady crying on her husband and I must admit being totally honest I felt very alone in those moments sitting there alone watching couples who were supporting each other. um, One thing I wish I'd I sort of thought about or known them was having like a supportive friend with you particularly at the beginning because I think even if you're really strong it can be quite affronting when you've got big existential questions running through your head naturally when you're in the fertility clinic like will I actually have children will this work will I meet the right guy is there anything that you would sort of add to that Bridget
2: no I think you just said it perfectly it's it's all yeah you're, you're sitting there and you're observing uh, different situations around you. And I think to be able to have a support person, whether it's a family member or a friend come with you Mm -hmm. to be that is wonderful.
1: Yeah. And I also think, and I don't know if if this resonates with you, Bridget, but people often openly share, not always about IVF with their husbands or long-term partners, but I feel that egg freezing as a single woman can feel um, more stigmatized Um, I felt I felt like a bit of a failure being there like how the heck is a girl like me ended up in a facility clinic you know like the doctor said I'm you know I think I'm quite a catch as a lot of my best friends are who haven't you know yet met the right men Um, would you agree that egg freezing as a single woman can feel like something that can it can kind of bring with it more sort of shame or embarrassment or secrecy. Yes. And that's something that we need to change as a
2: society. Um, I think you are correct right now. Um, you know, egg freezing is, I think when people hear egg has gone under and made the decision to freeze their eggs, they're assuming that something's wrong with them. Um, why are they still single? Are they selfish? Because they put their career first. I think we need to stop there. Yeah. And remember that egg freezing is truly empowering. It's giving women options for a future family while planning their own personal all in life. What do they want to achieve in their life that's important to them Mm -hmm. as well as build that family that they desire to have? That is where egg freezing comes in. And that's where it needs to be viewed as empowering Mm -hmm. instead of stigmatized as a negative process that a female would go through
1: yeah I agree, and the more people that we have, like you who are um sharing what it's all about, the more it is actually empowering women um and perhaps one of the great ironies is, as you say, there's no one size profile for all your patients, but certainly, most of my best friends um are single and they're all beautiful, you know sexy, intelligent women um and they've achieved great success in many areas of their lives, whether sort of business wise or you know friend wise or what they're doing with their lives, um, you know, very, very inspiring women. So I love what you say about empowerment, you know, it doesn't have to be seen as, as something that you failed at at all.
2: Correct. Or maybe we should flip the switch and start thinking that there's something wrong with all the men out there.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, maybe it's not
2: the females, maybe it's the men.
1: Yeah, and, and as, um, as people say, you know, there's a big focus on, you know, is a woman fertile? But, you know, we never know if men are fertile either, do we? Correct. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I must say, just to sort of share with listeners, since I've since I've sort of engaged in this process, um, I mean, I, I could never have settled with with the wrong man just to have a baby. I would rather have been single till sort of you know married the right man and not had children if I had to choose. But I must say, since since um, engaging in egg freezing, I have I have felt quite a weight lifted off my shoulders. It's taken the edge off that that slight anxiety that does some, sometimes sort of creep up.
2: And a lot of times, once a woman decides to go through the egg freezing process I've seen this time and time again that's when they meet the love of their life
1: because you
2: have taken that pressure off of yourself yeah you've made the decision to freeze your eggs and all of a sudden Mr. Wonderful comes walking into your life
1: (laughs) so I hope that's your case girlfriend Uh, absolutely well I think he may have wandered into my life just before but again he'll never listen to this so it's fine (laughs) um (laughs) Um, so obviously we're nearing the end now um, Bridget so I just want to check that there's nothing else that we, we were going to cover um, are there any things that you hear from your clients or your patients who say "God, I just wish that I'd known X or Y that we haven't already covered that you think would be helpful for our listeners we've
2: covered it but I just want to drive home the biggest thing that patients say to me is I truly wish I understood meaning the correlation between age and fertility yes. and if I truly understood it understood it i wouldn't be saying if i only knew
1: Mm. yeah if i only knew absolutely um just just another question is there any obviously people can look up reviews of hospitals online and clinics um is there an easy way to know what their success rate is because obviously they'll all say that they're successful or is that quite hard to measure so
2: you can go online and you can see the the statistics for the success rates as well. Okay, That's all information that's readily available to the, uh, you know, the everyday female.
1: Okay. And would that be um, statistics around specific clinics or? Yes. Okay, great. That's good to know. Um, one thing I found, Bridget, which I know we've discussed um, privately, I found there was a real lack of information online, um, hence me, you know finding you and you know reaching out to strangers on the other side of the world um are there any particular obviously your blog will come onto that your website's amazing are there any particular sort of um bodies online or instagram accounts or podcasts that you're aware of that you think could be helpful to people who are trying to research this more
2: so there's a wonderful wonderful female physician her name's natalie crawford Mm -hmm. who does a fabulous job, who's on a very similar mission that I am about educating women, bringing awareness to fertility, bringing awareness to how their bodies function properly. Um, So I would strongly recommend following her account as well. Again, she's fabulous. She's a wealth of knowledge. And she truly believes empowering women with information is the best path to get them to their future family
1: brilliant that's really really helpful thank you um and I'd also advise listeners you can always put hashtag egg freezing or fertility into instagram and it's lovely because you connect with beautiful people like Bridget here who can really make a difference even if they're across the pond <laughs> <laughs> um so let's just wrap up then um was there anything else that you wanted to share Bridget that you wish that you'd shared or that we haven't touched on I think we've done
2: a fabulous job on touching base on a, a various different topics and information. And I I truly believe that we've been able to gather a lot of information here to help to help females about the egg freezing process.
1: Absolutely, and thank you so much, Bridget. Um, you know, you've just been the best person to talk to about this. And yeah, it's my hope for our listeners that they'll get all the information that um took me quite a long time to gather and sort through in one fell swoop from, from the wonderful you, frankly. So thank you so much for sharing all that so eloquently and with such warmth as well. Thank you for having me and allowing me to
2: share my passion with all of you.
1: So, um, uh, well, thank you again for being here. The final, um, well, the second final last question I have for you is, um, I would love to know what your definition of success is. My definition of success... Ultimately, I just want to make an impact
2: on the future generation female. I want to empower them with knowledge in order for them to be more proactive Mm -hmm. than the women set before them.
1: Wow. I love that. Than the women before them. Yeah, absolutely. There's something quite visionary in that. I love that. Um, And finally, Bridget, I'm sure lots of our our listeners will be really keen to connect with you. Um, Could you tell us a bit about where they can find you on social media, whether your website or otherwise? I would love to. So Instagram,
2: I am Bridget Brennan RN. Mm-hmm. I also have a Facebook account under that name as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you can head to my website, B-R-I-D-G-E-T, Brennan com, mm-hmm. And you can find information there as well.
1: Fantastic. And I love your website. It's lovely and I love the kind of personal photos as well again it just brings that kind of authenticity and warmth that I think is so vital to this subject
2: Ah, oh, thank you that means a lot
1: you're most welcome okay well um, thank you again Bridget for a really really wonderful interview um, I think my listeners are going to love this um, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week thank you thank, thank you so much you. for
2: having me again and I wish you all the best in your increasing journey thank you very much bye wonderful day